Matt Howell with, well, nobody. I'm by myself today. You may be asking yourself, where's the esteemed captain of this podcast ship? Well, Chris is recovering from a particularly nasty bug that prevented him from venturing out to the theaters and has affected his voice. He wants his ravings to be at the crystal clear quality you've come to expect, so there is no new episode of the first run for this week. But if you're not most loyal listener, your podcast BFFs are not going to leave you high and dry. For your listening pleasure, we have a special episode of Chris's other show, Screen Run. Screen Run is a film podcast where Chris and the podcast mommy herself, the Lady Wan, run through the filmography of a particular director, actor, or movie franchise per season. It's really quite good. You should like and subscribe if you get the chance. In the show's second season, Chris and Juan ran through the Alien series, and we've queued up for you the episode that some would correctly call it covers the best film in the franchise with James Cameron's 1986 sequel, Aliens. If you're saying to yourself, Matt, you're my favorite. I tune in especially for you. Well, I would say that you have excellent taste. And to fear not, since they were gracious enough to invite me as a guest on this episode. So, thank you for your understanding. And rest assured, your favorite internet uncles will be back next week to discuss the Norwegian supernatural thriller, The Innocents, the psychological horror film, Master, and Jordan Peele's much-anticipated third film, Nope. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this special presentation of Screen Run. exactly we're dealing with here Ripley I'll tell you what I know we sat down on LV 426 one of our crew members was brought back on board with something attached to his face some kind of parasite we tried to get it off it wouldn't come off later it seemed to come off by itself and die Kane seemed fine we were all having dinner and um must have laid something inside his throat, some sort of embryo. He started, um, he... Look, man, I only need to know one thing. Where they are. Anytime, anywhere. Right, right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. Fuck you, man. Anytime, anywhere. Are you finished? I hope you're right. I really do. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady Wan, and I'm here with... Chris Gauza. And this week we have a special guest joining us. Matt Howell from The First Run. <laughs> whose, whose Twitter profile is The Better First Run. Famously. Right. I got Famously. tired of Chris. So, <laughs> yeah, Matt and I do that show together, The First Run. So you can get a taste of the oh, yes. dynamic that we have together. <laughs> it's like oil and water it's a beautiful thing it's wonderful it's mm -hmm. wonderful well this show is screen run where we talk about the films of one particular artist or franchise season two is the franchise of alien and we are on our second episode so we're talking about aliens 
plural. Yeah. With a lisp on the end. There's a lisp at the end? Am I supposed to say alienth? I never knew that. Yeah. It's A-L-I-E-N-S-T-H. Oh. Yeah. You know, this isn't funny because I had a lisp (laughs) when I was a kid. I took speech (laughs) classes. I had really bad buck teeth. I had to have braces. This is a very traumatic experience for me right now. And I, you know what I'm, this is what I'm thinking. Game over, man. It's game over. (laughs) This is very painful for me. I don't know why this, why you had to bring up my, my former lisp. You know what's so funny? I'm very conscious of it right now. I am focusing (laughs) on saying the word lisp. Oh no. Scalzo's head. You've done the impossible. (laughs) I'm going to have one of my gourds gone wild. Right here, Tampa Bay <laughs> Brewing Company. <laughs> nice. Not quite nice. yet a sponsor. Maybe soon. We could call them a future sponsor. There you go. Yeah, it, I'm all about manifesting shit lately. Yeah, I want to drink your beer for free. So mm-hmm. aliens. Yes, that's the movie. That's Focus. the movie we're talking about. Focus one. <laughs> what are we here for? <laughs> Alien. Yes. Okay. Um, we, we got to get into this because, um, Chris set you up, Matt, in, in our last episode, Uh-oh. he said, this is one of your faves. So when did you first come to this movie? So when did, when did this come out? 1986, I believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah so thanks I, for doing some prep and some simple research. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, 1986, I, you would have thanks. been a zygote. I would have been, I was seven years old when this came out and I was, I was too young to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow one of our friends, older brothers got us in. So we watched it. So I watched it at at the very tender age of seven and I loved it. And I was terrified of it at the same time. Oh my God. That's (laughs) man. At least it wasn't the first one. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, Matt, had you seen this? This is the first one you saw. You never saw. You saw the aliens first, and then you saw Alien. Yeah. Or did I you see, see like Alien, Alien Trey or Quattro? <laughs> no, I, I or saw, jump right to I AVP. Much, much, much later. <laughs> All right. So it's Aliens as a child, and then mm-hmm. Alien. Wow. Much like later. A teenager. Okay. Wow. Wow. When when did you first see Aliens, Chris? I first saw Aliens when I'm trying to think. So I would have been 12, 12. No, I've been 11. Oh, geez, I don't want to age myself too much. I would have been 11 when this came out. I think I saw it a little bit after that. I think I saw it on VHS or perhaps okay. on HBO. I do remember recording it. So I had it on a VHS, Ooh. but I mean, actually I like recorded it yeah. off of HBO. And then I did buy the VHS I have owned this on three formats, so that's VHS, I guess twice if you count my TDK tape, mm-hmm. uh, that'd be four, but the official VHS, then the DVD, and now I have it on Blu-ray. No 4K yet. Not quite know what's up with that, hmm. but in fact, I think the only 4K is the first film so far, right? Outside of you know Prometheus and Covenant, but of the first yeah. round, the first four films of just classic horror cinema. <laughs> Yeah, just the first ones in 4K. But either way, I loved this as a kid. I watched it just like the first film. I watched this thing dozens of times. This, again, is a movie I will watch. Not as often as I watch Alien. I watch Alien probably once a year. Aliens, I probably watch (laughs) once every two to three years. But I will 
but I still, I love it. And I found that I tend to enjoy the director's cut more, but I think the mm-hmm. or theatrical cut is actually a better film, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. But we can dive into all that. Oh, what yes. about you, Ms. Juan? When did mm-hmm. you come to Alien? And I'll probably stop doing that joke shortly. <laughs> um, I saw this movie on New Year's Day 2021. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, Matt, you missed it because we haven't released it quite yet. But at the very first episode, well, no, it was at the end of the uh, teaser. Yeah. So you do know. Yeah, it was in the she teaser. Yeah. Saw yeah. It. yeah. I, I were leading with um, my public shame that I saw the first alien film in June of 2020. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember you put it out into the ether, like on social media. I was like, I was so, I was so taken (laughs) aback. I was like, yes, I have them. You should watch them immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I dragged my feet a little and then, then they all disappeared from HBO max. So now I'm actively spending money on them. Uh, It's okay. It's okay. It's worth it. I feel good about it. Um, I'm supporting art. So, so far. far, yeah. <laughs> so far, I'm supporting art, and it feels good. Um, yeah. So let me I, ask you. Sorry to cut you off there, but it's kind of what I do. What <laughs> held What held you off? You said you're kind of avoiding. Was there a particular reason? Is it one of those things where you know, like, there's some films that you look at just like as homework, where it's supposed <laughs> to be really good, but is it really that good? Like that was I was that way yeah. with Citizen Kane. Yeah. And I finally finally watched it and fell in love with it. What, was yeah. there a particular reason why you've been dragging your feet? It just didn't seem like it was going to do anything for me, which now sounds so stupid. Um, so I was just stupid. like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I avoided the first one because I want to be scared. And then I was like, well, I don't want to see any of them because I don't want to be scared. And like, I kind of, I understood they were very different, but not really. I just, I, I kind of just never... I was never that convinced I needed to see it. And then I started to feel bad at the 40th anniversary of the first Alien uh, around 2019. The film nerd guilt started to get to me. And uh, I, I started I started the journey. But then I held back until we started doing this series. So I'll be watching so many of them for the first time. So you can get my bizarre takes as I'm you know, late to the party. I really envy you to be able to revisit <laughs> these, to see these things for the first time. I'll be revisiting things that I did not care for when I first <laughs> saw them for the next few weeks. Maybe that'll change. Maybe yeah. my opinion will we'll soften. See. But I'm really excited to kind of get your first impressions about these films. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's going to be weird. Um, but it's going to be good. It's going to be quite a journey. I'm excited for it. Um, so let's get into Aliens. Chris, could you do us the honor of somewhat briefly describing the plot of this movie. Absolutely. So (laughs) Aliens takes place, what, 57 years after the first film. So -hmm. as you know, at the end of Alien, Ripley has escaped, and she's been drifting through space, hoping to make it home. A uh, salvage ship comes across her little cruiser pod thing, and they uh, rescue her and bring her back to a space station. She kind of explains to the corporation what happened to her crew. And they basically are like, yeah, yeah, all right, whatever. It's not really big. We don't really know if we believe you because there's actually been a colony on LV-426, which is that, that planet, that moon, whatever, whatever it was, mm-hmm. the whole time for decades. And she, of course, Ripley's all upset and freaked out by it. And then, of course, a short time later, 
the uh, corporation sends their favorite stooge, a delightfully slimy Paul Reiser, <laughs> and one of their and one of the uh, members of the Colonial Marines to say, "Listen, we've lost contact with this colony. We're going to send a bunch of these Colonial Marines out there to see what happened, and we'd like you to come along as an advisor." And Ripley, re- reluctantly, I think at first, but she decides to do it because I think she feels this is the only way she can escape the horrors and the demons that have been haunting her dreams is to mm-hmm. face her fears. So she joins them on this expedition. And of course, everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. Boy, it goes so wrong. It's so good. So we've got some some interesting background to run through. And and I can I can kind of kick us off here on how this movie came to be. But once again, feel free gentlemen to interrupt me as you have more information to add to what I'm about to say. So because I watched a three hour documentary on the making of this movie so that nobody else ever has to do that. It was just I just wished I was watching the movie again. A three hour documentary is a doozy. Well, yeah, it's the condensed. I guess it feels like it's all the different special features, right? Condensed into one film from the oh, previous yeah. quadrilogy. Oh, yes. Uh, I really. I took in a lot, a lot of information, but I can tell it much faster than three hours. So here we go. And so go. <laughs> the story all starts with our original alien producers, David Geiler and Walter Hill. So they dug James Cameron's Terminator script and they wanted to work with our boy, Jimmy C. So they had a few ideas they talked to him about. Nothing was really doing it for him. But one thing they said was like, well, you know, you could do a sequel to Alien. And James Cameron was like, oh, my God. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, I want to do that. So the idea that Guyler and Hill had to start was that Ripley was going to team up with some soldiers, go back to the planet. And then that was kind of what they started him with. And James Cameron added some elements from a story he had written called Mother. Now, the things that were already in his story were a genetically engineered creature trying to protect its offspring, terraforming, an evil, all-powerful company, and the term xenomorph. So that worked out really well. He put his treatment together for the movie in a week, and Guyler and Hill were completely on board. They're like, yes, let's make this movie. Let's do this. But they couldn't start right away because Terminator was stalled in pre-production waiting for Arnold to be available. So Guyler and Hill did this very weird un-Hollywood thing and said like, no, no, that's fine. We'll just like wait for timing to work out. And they just waited. I want to interject too. What film, Matt, do you know? What film was Arnold <laughs> option to do? He's contractually obligated to do. What film was he contractually obligated to do at that he, time? He had, yeah. he has done it. There was a movie he had done that turned out to be massively popular. And so, the Conan direct, the Destroyer? Exactly. They, yeah. they picked up the option to make the Destroyer. So, <laughs> okay. Arnold had to wait, had to come back and do Destroyer first. Mm-hmm. See, that's so, a story in of itself. A little bit of trivia for you there. so while they're waiting for arnold (laughs) james cameron is working on a couple like rewrite drafts of the terminator script he's writing the alien script and he's also writing rambo first blood part two just all at the same time just very casually um (laughs) so james cameron knew he wanted his script to be all about ripley because Duh, it should be, but also because we know James Cameron loves himself a strong female protagonist. But when he's working on this, he finds out not only is Sigourney Weaver not under contract for a sequel, but no one has even talked to her 
about doing this movie. So he goes straight to her with his script and asks her to do it. So she'd been nervous about doing any sequels to Alien before because, you know, she didn't want Ripley to not be written as well. And she was worried about a bad sequel tarnishing the movie's legacy. Should just pause and wait for us all to think about that concept. <laughs> well, she she had such a good experience the second time out. She's figured, what the hell? Yeah. Keep yeah. going back to that well. Yeah. <laughs> so even though she was nervous, she liked Cameron's script, in particular how it dealt with the mother-daughter bond between Ripley and Newt. And she wanted to make the movie, but she wanted some more money. And Fox didn't want to pay her. And this is where we have to get creative. And this is where I kind of feel like this wouldn't happen anymore. I kind of miss like a pre-constantly connected world that this this story could have happened then. So the studio is holding out on her. They don't want to pay her the money. So James Cameron gets sneaky. And he tells Fox that if they haven't gotten a deal done by the time he's back from his honeymoon with Gail Ann Hurd, who produced the film with him, that they're going to walk away. So they get back from the honeymoon. Nothing is done. So it gets even sneakier. And he calls Arnold's agent and just like casually mentions, you know, like, oh, well, if we can't get Sigourney, we'll just write out the Ripley character. So it's no big deal. So his agent calls her agent and tells her that story. And they go to Fox, who's like, no, 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 no. It has to have Ripley in it. They end up getting the deal done. Sigourney Weaver gets a million dollars plus a cut of the film's gross, uh, which is good because Cameron was fully bluffing. If there was no Ripley, there was going to be no movie. But I feel like that would never happen now. Because they just go straight to the source. There'd be none of this like whispering in ears, Hollywood style, the way it was in the 80s. Hmm. And uh, it it all worked out because we get Sigourney Weaver in her role as Ripley again. She's the first actress to have her acting in an action movie nominated for an Academy Award. That well, or That's interesting. So that's one of the questions I have for you. And maybe we can pocket this because... A bunch of times Cameron refers to this film, not as a horror film. He says the horror is kind of what Ridley did. This is more a film about kind of inciting or making you feel terror. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I agree with that. I think that Aliens is basically an action film. And that's always been one of the questions I've had is, was it the right decision to make this an action movie instead of a reinterpretation or a new version of the original film and just making another horror film. Because if that mm-hmm. was part of the issue, right, is the studio sat on this for years yeah. before they decided, because they didn't, a, they didn't think a horror sequel would, would be that successful and they didn't mm-hmm. want to put the money into it. And it really bounced around um, a bunch of times until Cameron got his hands on it. Yeah. But what do you think about, we'll start, Matt, with you. Do you think it was the right decision to shift kind of the genre of this series into the action realm? Yeah, absolutely. Just based off of the product that we got. I mean, I think Aliens is, for me, one of those few films that I would consider a perfect film. Like, I can watch it over and over and over again, and I never get tired of it. It's Mm -hmm. in that kind of small group of films that is just, I think, just the absolute top of its craft for what it's trying to do. And it was interesting, as Chris knows i do very little research for our other show much to his <laughs> his annoyance but i mean it lets him you know have the spotlight for a while bounce it <laughs> off of someone who's ignorant but i did actually watch the special features um the the commentary between the, the 2003 commentary on the special edition blu-ray that i had mm-hmm. and to hear james cameron tell it this is basically 
a Vietnam movie, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like he's taking these this idea of these kind of um, drafted, pressed into service soldiers who've been fighting out on the fringes for so long and being put up against an enemy that is not as technologically advanced, but it, they've completely underestimated. And that's kind of what yeah. you're getting in this. And I think that's absolutely the right way to go because I don't think you can top what Ridley Scott did with his haunted house in space. I think kind of making it its mm-hmm. own thing is what makes it successful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think shifting the genre and shifting instead of, you know, an enclosed space and a small cast of characters picked off one by one, you've got a whole crew of Marines. We've got multiple locations. We've got vehicles. We've got huge set pieces. I think the shift really gives you the ability to not just compare two movies, not just like, well, this is the second one. Oh, I like I like Godfather 2 better than Godfather 1. Like, it's not that. It's a completely different situation here. And I think it was a fantastic choice to go that way. So, yeah, and I think one thing that people may not appreciate is that the Vietnam War was still very much in the consciousness of this country when this movie came out. Yeah. I mean, it's today people don't really think about it or talk about it. It's more about, you know, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq. But Vietnam was still a huge deal in this country mm-hmm. back in 1986, 1985, 1984, I guess, when we started working on it, on writing yeah. it. Yeah. So, no, that's entirely right. And what one of the more fascinating things, too, is that I feel like Cameron is of, like, a couple different minds in this movie. So if you look at it, at times, too, it's a celebration, I think, of Reaganism, the power mm-hmm. of the individual, like libert- libertarianism, right? And then protecting that core family. And I didn't really, I'd read that online previously, and I never really put a lot of stock in that until, Matt, I listened to that commentary. Yes, there, I was just about about to bring that up some of the stuff he was saying but continue yeah so cameron refers to sigourney weaver's kind of leftist views at times almost it sounds very dismissive to me yeah. when i was listening to it what did what did you think about that matt and then one i'm curious if you yeah i was just absolutely shocked like i knew cameron had this reputation for being this kind of perfectionist dictator on set and like a real a-hole to work for but it's it was just it was just astounding to me to listen to him talk just like dismissively talk about sigourney weaver's liberal views and being like yep and then i got around the gun range and then another liberal bit the dust and i was like really this is not what i was expecting from you james cameron but now it all kind of makes sense yeah i think it's kind of interesting the way like it's definitely an allegory for vietnam but not in any kind of way about the soldiers really afterwards because like Mm. Ripley is our veteran with PTSD right she's the person who comes back but she goes back to go back to the fight because that's her way forward through it so I think that's kind of telling that like that's our hero and she's not trying to recover from life back on this space station just running a loader living her regular life she goes back to it. She goes back to the fight. And this time she's got a flamethrower. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that, that it's about like, it's a, an allegory for Vietnam, but not kind of in the way that we'd be used to by now. Well, with, yeah, it's not rah, rah military at all. Right. right. It, it is very much, I think an indictment on that kind of thing. Cameron clearly, I think is a libertarian watching this film and, and well, reading about this stuff. Okay. Well, so. <laughs> because if you think about it, right, it's it's the military falter. So which the one person who would their based on why the strength of their will kind of takes over and writes mm-hmm. the ship and and saves the day. 
Yeah. Right. And he's, but because he also still has the, the greedy evil corporation theme is mm-hmm. still present in this film, like it was in, in Scott's film as well. So, yeah, he's clearly, it's not, well, I don't know. I just think definitely you see that, as I said, uh, uh, he, Cameron is definitely a libertarian, at least back then when he's making this film. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that for sure. He really, really did not enjoy the fact that Sigourney Weaver was anti gun. <laughs> yeah i think it what i mean some of his points did yeah. make sense where she's talking about how she doesn't want ripley to use a gun and she wants her yes. to die and i'm like those are all terrible ideas to <laughs> thank you jim cameron for not listening to her at all <laughs> she wants him, her she wants ripley to have an intimate moment with an alien at some point too yes. and the funny thing being is that you can say that in the commentary is that eventually she does get her way <laughs> in the following films so juan you have that to look forward to yeah good Whew. Looking forward to that one. Cameron, man, he is an enigma, let me tell you. But this is not just, I mean, it it runs and feels kind of like a blockbuster popcorn kind of action 80s movie, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a lot more going on underneath. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. I think that's something that's a really positive part of this movie as well that is not the same as the original, but to have a movie kind of masquerading as pure entertainment that also has some deeper themes behind it is uh is nice to see once again. We'll see how long that lasts. Right. So <laughs> Ms. Juan, let me ask you. Matt had mentioned Cameron's reputation as <laughs> yeah. a director. So yes. what more can you share with us about the production of this film? So they filmed Aliens in the United Kingdom, again, at Pinewood Studios, where Alien was filmed, and most of the same crew was back for the sequel. And these Brits were not too fond of our Canadian director. They called him Grizzly Adams because they were making fun of his beard. They didn't think he'd done anything because Terminator hadn't come out there yet. And they're just sort of like, who the hell is this bearded weirdo who's bringing in his wife to produce the movie? He's never made anything. And how on earth is he going to make a sequel to Ridley Scott's masterpiece? So they came in with some attitude. And James Cameron tried to show them the Terminator and nobody would show up to his screenings. They did not want to get to know him, not want to get to know what he did. And as Matt said, he is uh, pretty famously like a stickler is like the nice way to put it. He knows what he wants and he knows what he doesn't want. And from what I gather, he can't always explain that to you, but he still expects you to know. So there were definitely some disagreements on the set. They ended up firing their first AD because he was kind of doing everything he wanted and driving Cameron absolutely insane. So they fired him. That stirred up the crew even more. There was drama over tea time. He was taking the tea cart away and you can't do that to the Brits. I am half British. I understand this is 100% true. You cannot fuck with our tea time. And just that plus, as I said, his wife being the producer, they didn't respect him as a director. So they weren't going to respect a female producer who, as far as they were concerned, was only there because she was married to him. So it was just a a challenging, a challenging environment. Um, He had to kind of chill out, I guess, not be such a dick let the tea hang around for a while. And (laughs) when he was done filming, he said to the crew, this has been a long and difficult shoot fraught by many problems. But the one thing that kept me going through it all was the certain knowledge that one day I would drive out of the gate of Pinewood and never come back. And that you sorry bastards would still be here. So 
That's amazing. <laughs> and he never came back. He never, ever worked at that studio again. He was like, ha ha. I've had enough of you. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can say what you want, but I mean, this was the guy's second film and look what he yeah. produced. I mean, like, you can't really argue with the result. Yeah. Yeah. It was um challenging environment, to say the least. Yeah, but it, worth it, right? Worth it in the end. Absolutely. Sometimes you can get some uh, great art out of... uh Difficult and challenging <laughs> situations. That's for sure. So speaking of our, our difficult situations, Chris, how do you feel about the score of this movie? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I like that you perfectly teed that up for me too. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so James Horner yeah. comes in to do the score for Aliens. And previously they had worked with, Cameron and Hurd had worked with Brad. Why am I blanking on this cat's name? Brad Feidel, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who did the Terminator. And they basically made the Terminator score like in this cat's garage, right? There was really <laughs> nothing to it. And they were upgrading now. They had hired Horner, who was then going to work with the uh, London Symphony Orchestra mm-hmm. uh, to produce this score. And so Horner shows up, and he's at Abbey Road Studio, right? And <laughs> he says basically the technology there, it's like 30 years old. And he can't do some of the things he wants to do. And then... Something else happens, and it is absolutely crazy. The problem was, in my line of work, writing a melody in its simplest terms takes two seconds. The hard part is weaving a carpet that lasts exactly a certain amount of time, and in that time, I have to acknowledge maybe 36, 38 events, gunfire, people dying, a monster dying, whatever the things are. It relies on exact timings to the hundredth of a second so that the music matches the picture. I ended up writing the cue as best I could. And then two days before, or a day before, I was supposed to write, uh, record the music. Massive changes. They had changed the whole sequence around. And I was up for, you know, 36 hours making sense, retiming, rewriting like crazy, like crazy, like crazy. And then recording it and then Jim says well can't we do this there and can't we do this there and Gail said I thought we were going to have an acknowledgement there and I said well you did yesterday but now the sequence is and that's how it just goes and it was all a question of the pressure of time Gail's response was icy cold she said well we'll just get somebody who can and I said please do if you can get somebody more experienced and better able to produce this than me, I'd like to meet him because I'm sure I'll learn something. I mean, it's nasty between <laughs> all of them, right? He gets to London with six weeks to complete the score. Yeah. And it's not just they're not still editing the film. They're still shooting the film. Mm-hmm. And so he has, doesn't know what to do. Because like, he, he's watching the dailies, he's watching this stuff, getting ideas and stuff, but he can't write the music because, like you just heard in that clip, it's got to be precise. You can't yeah. just whip something up and then just kind of figure it out, right? But the worst part, I think, was in this. It's all fixable. It's just, can we move the picture back and give us another four weeks? No. So the picture was stay, stayed. Release dates are imminent. We're six weeks away from theater release, and we haven't started scoring or dubbing yet. And I haven't even started writing. I haven't even started seeing the movie. He ran out of time, and he actually hadn't finished 
all of the cues for our film when we were sitting there with the London Symphony Orchestra. And we realized that, I think this, the cue was 12M12, but it was, it was the final cue of the film. Um, we were going through all of the cues and we realized it hadn't been written. And of course, I think anyone would be a little stressed to find out that the, the climactic cue of the film didn't exist yet. Listen to that. So that's Gail and Hurt. She's the producer. So yeah. she's saying that he it's ran Warner's out of time. Fault. Yeah, it's his fault. He didn't manage his time properly. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Now, as a failed artist myself, I cannot begin to tell you what it would feel what it would like to be if an editor or whoever is doing the work for hire said, "All right, Chris, I want you to do this, this, and this." All right. Well, I need you. What do you want me to do with it? And they're like, oh, don't worry about. It. We'll get it. We'll get it to you. Just start working on something. Are you kidding yeah. me? That's not how that process no. works at all. No. And to hear her say that, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. So he ends up busting out. So they didn't have the big climactic scene at the end, right? When it's Ripley with the loader against the queen. They didn't have the music. So he busts something out basically that night yeah. and puts it together. And even then Cameron goes through and edits stuff and kind of changes things. And he ends up getting an Academy Award nomination for the score. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. And you can hear, too, because you can hear he's rushed. Because if you listen carefully, you can hear stuff from prior scores in there, particularly yeah. uh, Wrath of Khan. Those are a few things that are tweaked or, you know, maybe the speed has changed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there are clearly some Wrath of Khan things, which was Horner's first big score that you can hear in this film. Yeah. But it's another, just like last time with Alien and Goldsmith. Another crazy kind of <laughs> score story to go along with the film. Yeah, it's wild. The seemingly miserable experiences for people that have just given us wonderful outcomes. So thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, James, for your suffering. Uh, sorry about the attitude that you were continuing to get even <laughs> into like special features. Yeah, it's it's just horrible. Yeah. Poor... Uh... Though I did find out that I guess he goes by Jamie with his friends. So that's what I'm going to call him going forward is Jamie. Actually, he's passed, right? Oh, shit. I don't know. Yeah, I think he has. R.I.P. Anyway, there is a wonderful deluxe edition of the Alien score that is currently out of print. You cannot get the CD. But it's available on iTunes. So if you want to get it, I would say go ahead and pick it up. It's actually very good. So there's your score moments. We got to come up with a little theme thing or something like that. <laughs> I'm talk about the scores. Yeah. Is Matt awake? Yeah, I'm awake. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of, when you start talking about scores, I just kind of fade into the background and let you go. I appreciate that. When I was hearing the story of this just absolute shit show of production, I was already like, well, no doubt we have to, we have to talk talk about this we have to address this issue but then to find out that there's so much of wrath of khan in the score i was like well chris probably is happy anyway so that's um, true yeah figured (laughs) (laughs) it worked out for everybody right absolutely (laughs) so what do you want to talk about next because i'd love to get into the casting of this thing yes yes let's do that let's get into it so matt what's one of the big interesting things about the uh, casting in Aliens, particularly with with uh, Hicks, do you know? I don't. What's the deal with Hicks? I mean, obviously, Michael Bean was in uh, was Kyle Reese in The Terminator, and James Cameron kind of keeps going to the well, or at least kind of keeps working with actors that he knows. So, but I didn't know that there was something with Hicks. So he wasn't initially going to be played 
by Michael Bean. Oh. Yes. James Remar had been cast as uh, Hicks. But at the time, Remar had been struggling with drug addiction. And he actually left after just a couple weeks, right? One of shooting. And uh, over creative differences, which has since been kind of revealed that he was struggling with his addiction. He's even talked about it himself. Mm -hmm. And... I think what's interesting listening to the commentaries and stuff, they kind of just, they dance around it, right? They never actually say what it was. Or I don't think they even mention his name. I think yeah. it's maybe in one of the documentaries, but in the commentary, his, his name isn't mentioned at all. And if, in case you may not know, I get, what's the most relevant, most recent thing Remar is known for was, I don't know, he played Dexter's dad, right? In Dexter, I think. I think people may know him from that. Uh, I'm trying to think what else you may know him from. The Warriors. Warrior, well, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know how much in the consciousness of Warriors is for a lot of people now. I mean, we're both really old, Matt, so I don't know. <laughs> well, we're both really cool. People should have, that movie should be in people's consciousness. <laughs> that's a fair point. So, yeah, so Remar was supposed to be Hicks originally. And the other thing, too, I didn't realize is <laughs> the person who played Vasquez isn't, like, remotely Hispanic, I don't believe. No, yeah, not yeah. at all. <laughs> Hearing Cameron explain it was was horrifying and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> so what did he I'm say? Not... He said, um, so they got Jeanette Goldstein to play this uh, Hispanic character, Vasquez. And he was like, well, she's such a good actress that, you know, we put some put some brown contacts in, um, darkened up her skin a little bit. And bam, you know, you wouldn't even be able to tell. <laughs> Oh, how how times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, I'd say like, we'll never do that again, but people, people still push it. She's one of his go-tos as well. She is also not Irish as far as I know. And she plays the Irish mom in Titanic. Well, but the crazy thing is, is listening to that, that commentary, Vasquez was her first movie role. It wasn't even somebody that she even... Like it's somebody that he had worked with, I think, yeah. in the past. But I mean, yeah. it was her first role, which is crazy. Yeah, she was she was pumping iron in England, and the first round of casting was in the UK. So he had to work out of England to cast. But really, what he was looking for were either Americans who happened to be in England or Brits who could do a passing American accent. And so they had to kind of run through the UK first before they could then go back to the uh, States for any other casting roles. Um, So she happened to be over there and it worked out. And you find it weird too, when they talked about Al Matthews who played uh, a pwn, which is probably (laughs) one of my favorite characters in the film where they always talk about his, he has some military background. But they're yeah. always, it's always very mysterious as to what it was. Yeah. Even he, when he talks about it, it's all very nebulous. And it makes, I'm really curious what, it, what, what exactly what his background was. I, I know. I feel like one person in one part of what I saw said he had been a Green Beret, but nobody else ever says that. And I, I don't know. So it's, it's kind of hard to, hard to lock down. Yeah, like you said, there everybody's kind of like, yeah, yeah. He had some some background. Like, what does that mean? So the Wikipedia's say that he was in the Marine Corps and was the first Black Marine in the First Marine Division in Vietnam to be oh. meritoriously promoted to the rank of sergeant. So, well done. 
I don't know. I did like though in in, one, in the documentary where he repeatedly says that if you have your finger on the trigger of the fake guns, that he will shove it up your ass <laughs> like three or four times. Yeah, <laughs> he he is not fucking around. Yeah. So interesting stuff. And then of course you have I think Paul Reiser, brilliant casting mm. as uh, as of course as Carter Burke, the company man. One of the things I love about the film, just like in the first movie is Cameron's in there and just our commitment to realism, right? Where nothing yeah. is, it's not like 1970 something Star Trek, the motion picture suits where everybody's wearing stuff that just isn't remotely believable. Yeah. All right. The, everybody looks like, like the suits, even the suits are still in suits. Mm-hmm. Now they have the little, you know, the turned up collar, but outside yeah. of that, it's still the same. Yeah. And they still act the same way. And one of my favorite things about this film, because every time it makes me laugh when I watch it, is the ridiculously improper inflation of money. <laughs> when they talk about that, it, it's a, that the blowing up the first ship was like a multi-million dollar operator or something like that. No, it's it's or no no. I'm sorry, the terraform colony is a multi-million dollar operation. That would cost billions. <laughs> Even today, it would be billions. So in the future, probably be trillions. The yeah. ship, the original ship, that would probably be a billion-dollar affair. They think they they price it out at like a a few million dollars, not including the payload. No way. Yeah, I I think at one point they throw around a term that was like three hundred million for something, and I'm like, that's what like an Avengers movie costs. Yeah. <laughs> like, never well, mind terraforming a planet. <laughs> I mean. Well, so I guess we can look at it one of two ways. One, as you mentioned earlier, Juan, that uh, Sigourney Weaver getting a million-dollar payday was a huge deal. So I guess yeah. this is 1986 money, whereas $300 million was, like, inconceivable. <laughs> or, you know, if we want to nerd out about it, maybe there was some massive financial collapse, you know, in between the future and f- inflation just hadn't caught back up again. Ooh, yeah, I that, like that. Honestly, that feels very real, and I'm a little uncomfortable with it. I think sorry, I think sorry to bring it down. <laughs> Not worry about that. Yeah. No, I I would say um other than that, yeah, Cameron is very very particular. When he presents a countdown, that is an accurate countdown. When Bishop says the ship is on its way, ETA 16 minutes, yes. When the system says explosion 16 or 15 minutes, yes. He does not mess around with countdowns, which I respect because I hate mm-hmm. it when a movie is like 10 minutes until blah, blah, blah. And then like 20 minutes later, you're still waiting for that thing to happen. And I'm Wait, like, Wait, are you one of those people like when someone holds their breath, you start holding your breath too at the same time just to see how yes. long you can go? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you must have loved that movie, 87 minutes, which I think actually isn't technically 87 minutes long. Either way. <laughs> yeah. I just, I was delighted multiple countdowns they all time out i loved it well done good times (laughs) i want to get back to my boy burke yes so one of the big lost deleted scenes in this film (gasps) is the fate of burke so in the film that you all know and love Mm -hmm. right he opens up the door and one of the xenomorphs or the aliens is right there waiting for him turns out he's not actually killed at that moment he is taken away and then cocooned to be uh, impregnated by the alien. But it doesn't make sense. Because the time, where I, time frame, timeline, just like Juan just talked about, doesn't work. Mm. Because the scene, Ripley 
comes upon him when she's going to rescue Newt and he's already been impregnated and he's like, I can feel it inside me. Help me, help me. So she hands him a grenade, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> but there's no way he would still have the face hugger on at that point. There's just not enough yeah. time has passed. And the other thing too, it doesn't work because she's lighting her path, you know, uh, Hans on Gretel style with the flares so she can find her way back. Burke kills himself with a grenade. She's now trapped. She can't make her way back that way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the reason for the cut. I know I know time was a factor when when they were cutting this movie down. And it slows down that that whole scene too. When I watched it, yeah. it doesn't work. And I think it would cut from the uh intensity. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that are in the director's cut that I I'm fine with it. I'm fine with them uh removing that part except for i think everybody universally agrees the scene where ripley finds out what happened to her daughter that is absolute bullshit to take that out it it should have been there it, they should have left it in not just for us to see ripley have the realization that she's missed her daughter's entire life and and that reinforces the relationship she's going to have with newt throughout the rest of the movie not only does that put Ripley in like this more emotionally vulnerable state and, mm -hmm. you know, could have maybe tipped Sigourney Weaver into winning the Oscar, but also you get the moment where, you know, Burke is sitting there and says to her, well, there are some promises you just can't keep. Like he literally says to her in that scene, like, I'm a bastard. I'm going to screw you over. Just a heads up here. Um, we needed that scene. How could you yeah. take it out? Oh. Yeah, I think out of all of them, that and really just for the action parts, I would keep the uh, the automatic gun things too, even though it's, I don't know, I think it's fun and it works out really well. Matt, do you have any of the deleted scenes or the scenes that you really enjoy that they should have kept in? Both of those scenes are, are very interesting. I would have kept sentry both of those as well. That's huh? The sentry the guns. Sentry guns. That's yes, called. yes. You know, and I kind of go back and forth. I think it's interesting to kind of see them go out to the derelict spaceship um, and Hadley's hope. And you see the kind of the first one get attacked. And it mm. was also listening to the actress who played Newt talk about like kind of what the headspace of Newt was at that moment, put a lot of background to it, but I think it does weigh it down a little bit. So I kind of go back and forth, but I think of those scenes that they took out, I think obviously Ripley's scene where she finds out about her daughter and I'm, and I'm with you. I always liked the sentry guns. I always thought they were really cool. <laughs> I didn't realize for the longest time, I thought that picture of her daughter was just Sigourney Weaver aged, mm -hmm. like commuter graphically, <laughs> but no, it's her mom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. That's such a good touch. Excellent choice. So, Cameron, good job. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead with this too, but I'm kind of curious since we're talking about it right now. Yeah. Which do you prefer, Juan, the theatrical or the director's cut? Do you have a preference over the two? I prefer the theatrical. Apart from the one scene where we see her find out about her daughter, I like the flow of it better. I like the pacing of it better. I like that other than the nightmare that Ripley has and like one little jump scare in the lab that like we're all the way a full hour into the movie before all hell breaks loose and the way that it breaks loose, I just it it's so much more satisfying. So I prefer the theatrical cut. What about you, Hal? Yeah, I think in revisiting this, I, I think I'm kind of with in your camp, Chris. I think the theatrical cut is better. But whenever I rewatch this movie, I, 
always watch the extended cut. I don't know why that is, <laughs> but I, I just, every single time I watch the extended cut instead of watching the theatrical cut. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the same way. They, I think Juan's entirely right. The pacing of it, it's, it's, it's cleaner, it's sleeker. Yeah. But yeah, I always watch the director's cut every time. I don't, I don't know why that is. Because <laughs> we're nerds. That's it. Oh, yeah. All right. Is there anybody we want to talk about, or do you want to hold it to when you talk about your favorite performance? I know there's one actor we have yet to speak about. Let's hold it, because I think I want to talk about that until later. Um, no? I, I do have one more one more little moment I want to talk about before we get into our favorites here is um, the scene with Hicks and Ripley where he's kind of like dragging her down the hallway to the elevator like just because she's distraught and like personally as a feminist watching this movie I have a moment of like oh no don't damsel her don't damsel her mm -hmm. but then immediately when they get attacked by the xenomorph and Hicks is sprayed with the acid the next part of the scene as we continue Ripley is now dragging Hicks out of the facility and I just love that it's awesome like it takes away any like weakness on either side for either character they are a team and their connections been built up throughout the movie and uh, I just love James Cameron for giving us multiple films where a woman helps Michael Bean and um, I think it's really important <laughs> <laughs> to help Michael Bean because yeah. he yeah. needs help Yes, it's it's for feminism, and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I really like how he handles the relationship between the two of them in this film. Oh, it's so good. Because it's, it's, it's so very good. subtle. It's very kind of, you know, it, it doesn't beat you over the head with it. There's no grand love moment like that, real. right? Yeah. yeah. It feels very some, realistic. They have some moments of connection that feel very authentic, and that's one of the really the things I really appreciate about the film, really. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So I would I was wondering about this too because I was thinking about Cameron with Terminator and then thinking yeah. about Alien. So this this is what he does back to back, right? Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think of this. Is a bit of a, a a non sequitur there, but which is the better film, Terminator or Aliens? Ooh. For me, it's Aliens, hands down. I think Terminator, outside of Schwarzenegger and some really great effects moments, yeah. The the more sensitive, dramatic moments are done so much better in Aliens than they are. I mean, when I think about Ripley and Hicks, and then I think about, you know, Linda Hamilton there, Sarah Connor, and um, what the hell is his name in Terminator? Kyle, Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese, thank you. That relationship does not work at all. No. I mean, it is so syrupy, over-the-top, soap opera-esque. <laughs> I hate it. I actually hate it when they're in that hotel room together. I'm at yeah. a point where I'm just going to skip to the next scene. It's so bad. <laughs> and I think it's just a better paced film. I just think overall, term, I mean, that Aliens is a far superior film to the uh, first Terminator. Now, if you want to ask yeah. me T2, yeah. that's a different conversation. Yeah. But for Terminator... I I I agree. I have to say Aliens is better than The Terminator, but I think I feel confident enough to say that T2 is better than Aliens, mm. but just by a hair. Matt? 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with our esteemed uh, <laughs> hosts here. Um, Aliens is is significantly better than the Terminator. As much as I enjoy the Terminator, honestly, when Linda Hamilton's talking about how they loved a lifetime's worth at the end of the freaking Terminator, my eyes are just like in the back of my head. You know, and I can yeah. see what he's trying to do. Like, you know, you have to send your own father back to die, kind of thing. You know, yeah. if you don't, then you're not going to be born. But I don't know. The whole thing was just kind of hackneyed, but. Honestly, I think Aliens is better than T2. I Ooh. know that may be sacrilege, but I don't know if it's just because of the kind of repetition of how many times I've seen T2 and yeah. just maybe how many times it's just kind of worn through, but it doesn't have Aliens has like a like a hunger to it. Like he, he like Cameron felt like he had something it feels like he has something to prove whereas t2 mm. he's like he's like i'm james motherfucking cameron and he's like the big dick in the in the locker room kind of thing right <laughs> so like he, he doesn't he doesn't have the same kind of you know force to it and i think aliens is just a just a more propulsive film a more alive film than t2 is yeah i think we're gonna have to put this to twitter we're gonna have to ask them so okay. um when you're listening to this right now go to screen run on twitter go find the account and go find the poll because i'm gonna put it up because i'm gonna remember for sure definitely and uh then go vote so yeah well in our alien series we want to (laughs) know which do you like better aliens or t2 (laughs) Mm -hmm. well that's the question i'm going to ask to wrap up the show so you can start thinking about it now with your little uh brain box there (laughs) which is better alien or aliens we still got a little bit to get through but start thinking about that yeah yeah we've um are we ready to get to our favorite performances or do we have some more more things to cover Hmm. um i think the only thing i would like to point out he's not my favorite performance but i would just like to point out that after listening to the commentary that Lance Heinrichsen is just a huge weirdo and I'm on oh, board absolutely. for it. And, and just like, I didn't realize how much of a weirdo, even the rest of the cast thinks that he is and how much, I thought it was a wonderful anecdote that uh, he and Paul Reiser did not get along because he was just too weird. <laughs> I liked, we was talking about the AD that almost got fired, actually did get fired, but came back yeah. Jim Kratner and how he first met Hen- Hendrickson that he kind of slapped Hendrickson on the chest and then, <laughs> Talking to him and Hendrickson's like, I will knock you out if you touch me again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like world class weirdo. I really love it. I I love that he spent days getting food poisoning from ingesting like expired milk and yogurt in his mm-hmm. death scene. And took several days before he was like, by the way, you know that this is making me like violently ill, right? And they're like, Oh, okay, sorry about that. Like <laughs> did not say anything right away. Waited days for food poisoning so yeah and, and in the off chance i just want to mention this briefly i'm assuming james cameron's going to listen to this <laughs> i want to sure. sure. i want to blow him up just a little bit more here in okay. a good way yeah like sexually <laughs> so right. let's talk about this for a second because this blows my mind aliens was made for 18 and a half million dollars you know how much that is today how much? 46. Wow. 46 million. That's it. I've seen so many shitty movies made for more than that. Think about what they were able to accomplish. Wow. 
with 18 and a half million. The thing cleared, what, what I love about this is it says 131 to 183 on Wikipedia. That's a hell of a spread. That's a $50 million spread. <laughs> but still, yeah. I just, it, it, I am marveled by what, what they pulled off. And they, they did it yeah. by being smart, right? Yeah. Like the scene with the, uh, the sleeping sleep pods thing, they only mm. made what, like three of them. And yeah. they just used double mirrors to make yep. it look like it was all the way down the hall. They reused certain set pieces. They re- mm-hmm. I mean, they did. They were very smart about how they did all of this stuff, and how they did. They redesigned the aliens themselves. They used more kind of latex and foam uh-huh. rubber type stuff to also make them so where they could they could move because they had a lot more aliens. Right, the first one you just yeah. got the one. Yeah. Now you got dozens, hundreds. Mm. So yeah. just very economical, very smart. I think one of the key things that Cameron does is that he doesn't he tests stuff ahead of time to oh, show yeah. it can be done. And then that way they know they can pull it off and then that's when they commit to doing it. And mm-hmm. it, it just really fascinating stuff. And it's very impressive of what he was able to pull off with such a small budget. It just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, probably maybe could have spent a little more money and had a slightly longer shoot and not made James Horner furious. True. Uh, just, you know, slow things down to a little bit. But hey, you know what? It all worked out in the end, so it's fine. Yeah, it's and you were limited by some of the technology, right? Like, I think if I have any complaint about Aliens, it's <laughs> the it's the front projection shots that look mm. just dreadful. I mean, they look very dated, very old. But outside of that, that's like the only complaint I have. And even then you're limited basically by the technology and the budget at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I kind of, I find it kind of nice to see rear projection like that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. We would never do that now. None of this would be anywhere close. So it's kind of nice to see it done the old school way. Yeah. I mean, and most of the time you don't notice it that much, but, and there has to be something to set said when they made a, know 14 foot tall queen alien that like that exists like that is true to size like it's not this weightless like if it had been like avatar that thing would have been like whipping around corners and slithering around and it Mm -hmm. would have just looked ridiculous but this massive lumbering thing just the fact that it exists i mean i kind of wish we'd go back to that but instead we're going to look at the next seven avatar sequels and what he can do with that so (laughs) yeah we'll see about that (laughs) yeah we will it's it's just a it's a different look to things i will say though when we first see ripley in the loader it totally made me think of avatar like just like the weird extension of body and like this bigger than normal figure but not so much bigger you know what i mean like it's still still like living in the same world like in that loader i was just like oh that makes me think of avatar this guy this guy, he, he's got a couple things he loves and he, he just keeps coming back to them. And dude loves machines. He really, really does. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just very amused to figure out how they did that because I always wondered how they did that. And I didn't realize it was a guy in a suit that she's just standing on her on his feet. <laughs> yeah, he's just back there hiding out. Yep. It's hilarious. Yeah, I love it. I, I do love, and we talked about this in our last episode, the the practical effects. With this one, there were like six or seven puppeteers running a face hugger. Like there were trick shots of reverse photography of just like yanking a puppet on a string. I just love it. I love watching things that are actually happening on the screen. 
it's so much more satisfying. All right. We've talked, talked a lot about a lot of things. We need to talk about our favorites and our favorite performances. Matt, you're our guest. So I think that you should go first and tell us your favorite performance in Aliens. Well, thank you, Juan. That's very generous of you. Um, (laughs) The absolute hands down best performance, and I will hear no dissenting opinions to the contrary, is Bill Paxson as Private Hudson, (laughs) who is just an absolute delight from frame one that he's on. He goes from cocky, confident, one-liner Marine to a complete blubbering mess, (laughs) and then back to at least going out in a blazing glory last stand. And it's Everything about it is fantastic, and he has the best lines in it yeah. of the entire stuff that's just classic. It sticks forever. I, I I can't. I struggle to find a better performance or one that I enjoyed more. I mean, I guess Sigourney Weaver's really good. <laughs> nominated, nominated, uh, Oscar nominated uh, performance. But for my money, Bill Paxton is, is Chef's Kiss, delightful. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's I'm sorry. Go ahead. Great. No, I was just going to say that's why we call it our favorite performance and not the best because you can never be wrong about your favorite. Yeah. So let's, let's, you know, let's give you everybody a little taste. Let's go on a little <laughs> uh, Hudson tour, shall we? They cut the power. What do you mean they cut the power? How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. I want you two with trackers checking the corridors. Move. Fuck. He's dead. You dog me, pal. And of course, the legendary game over man it's game over a phrase <laughs> that i say all the time whenever the situation arises Bill, to this oh, day it's to this magic day. man so good uh, i would i don't envy either of you having to try and top that <laughs> well i'll say if you want to do yourself a favor and google the cast of aliens and look at their pictures the straight up most boss pimp out of all of them is Mark Ralston, who was Private Drake. <laughs> Just look that up and look at that photo and tell me this guy doesn't get it. <laughs> but I think, I mean, Matt's mostly correct that I think the most fun performance is Hudson. I think that's a fair statement. But I do want to point out too, let's not forget about... uh Colette, Colette Hiller, right? So Colette played, I think, well, let me put it this way. I think the single best line delivery in the entire film is by her as Corporal Farrow. And I'm going to share that with you right now. We're in the pipe. Five by five. I don't know what it is, but that, <laughs> I say it out loud every time I see the film. I, it's just it's pitch perfect delivery. <laughs> even in, even 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 Bill Paxton, he he copies it, it during the thing. He stops right. the commentary just to say that line. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it what it is about it that's so special. I can't wrap my head around it. It's like cellar door, right? Which is supposed to yeah. be the most pleasing sound to your ears. Yeah, it's just melodic. It's just we're in the pipe five by five. It's just how she delivers it. It's just <laughs> soothing. Like I should put on a loop at night so I can sleep better. But I don't know, Matt. I feel (laughs) in the end, I have to give it to the boss. You know, Burke, I don't know which species is worse. You don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage. I think you have to go with the Oscar nominee. 
and she brings so much depth to this role. It's not just an action film for her, right? Mm-hmm. It's, there's so much more going on with her performance. It's badass. It's sensitive. It's, it's just wonderful. And in the end, I know Hudson's the blast. He's the fun one. But when it comes to the work, when it comes to the person who carries the film, your only answer is Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. Juan, <laughs> what do you think? Settle the score. I think it is. I don't know who else you could choose. It's one or the other. So who are you going? Well, okay. Um, I will say once again, I I struggled between Ripley and our artificial person. Oh, really? Really? I watching this. I, so I watched it multiple times this week to dive in, and every single time I watched it, I enjoyed Bishop more and more. It's so like the little nuances to his performance are so strange and then you you fully expect for him to be part of the problem through this movie from his introduction to her reaction to him like Ripley is who you're really kind of feeling for as you watch this movie she's the character you know from before you're Mm -hmm. wanting to see her journey and so she doesn't like him so you don't like him and for that spectacular scene he has with with the queen just spitting yogurt everywhere and just like emotionally how he contributes to the plot. Uh, I dug it. And as much as I just talked about him, Ripley's my favorite again. So (laughs) he's my honorable mention. No, it's, it's Ripley. She's so good. Her character grows in this movie. Hmm. She's still a badass. She's still a clear head. Like she's learned from what we saw in the last one, but it got, it's fantastic. Ripley's the best. Well, there I, you go, Matt. I respect your opinions. <laughs> They're incorrect, but you know what? That's that's okay. Yeah. And I think I don't know, and maybe it's not fair, but maybe what what Ripley becomes is is maybe coloring some of my, you know, Bill Paxson Hudson's on screen for one perfect film, and then yeah. he's gone forever. Whereas mm. Ripley continues. <laughs> it's a journey you get to sail on for the first time. One, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And then I just want to give some quick praise, of course, again, to Carter Burke, Paul Reiser. When he's explaining his decision, it was a bad decision. It was a bad call. Ripley is a bad call. Yeah. You know, trying to just explain away how he sent those people to their deaths all, you know, for some little extra money. Just corporate bullshit. That's it. Great hair, though. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love his 80s hair in this movie, set in like 2179. <laughs> Everything that's, that's old is new again. It all comes mm-hmm. back around. Yeah. Oh, there for sure. Go. All right. Are we ready for our egg rating? Listen, yes. I'm going to be shocked <laughs> if we're not five eggs across the board cuz i i'm i'm coming in again at both two films in a row yeah i'm going five eggs uh yeah five eggs matt yeah five eggs dozen eggs five yeah. eggs yeah. perfect film it it just it's fucking fantastic but there's there's nothing more to say like five out of five it's so it's so wonderful there you go all right so which is better alien or aliens Personally, for me, I prefer Alien to Aliens, mm-hmm. but I would watch either one of them any time, any day. Matt? 
So I think they're very different films and yes. very different genres. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give Alien five eggs as well. Yes. But <laughs> I've said Alienth is a <laughs> perfect film. And I stand by that. So, I mean, I'm going to watch the way Chris watches the first film is the way I watch aliens. I will watch (laughs) aliens more than one time in a year. Whereas the first one alien, I would maybe every other year, but I much prefer the kind of propulsive action joy of the sequel of alien. The only way, (laughs) the only choice. Yeah. For me, it's the first film. It, It is alien. And it's really, it's not even close. For years, younger me would have gone with Aliens. I would have been agreeing with Matt. But I love the gothic horror that is that first film Mm. with that score by Goldsmith. The way Ridley Scott just directs the hell out of that thing. Yeah. With it's perfectly cast. And it's such a smaller film. Everything's much more, you know, constrained. And uh, just the craft of it, it's, it's wonderful. So that's why I end up going with the first one. Yeah. I mean, we're we're pretty spoiled right now through these first two episodes. We're just we're just heaping praise on the pile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you <Yeah>. are. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how long this lasts. <laughs> was Alien Three? Was Alien Cubed? Fincher's first film? Was that his very first film? Well, that's a good question. I don't. Oh know God, I don't know. I haven't done my homework film? on the next one yet. Uh, okay. Well, I'll have to tune in to find out. Yes, yes. Thank you for the perfect segue for our next episode will be. So I've been wondering how I'm supposed to say the name of this movie. I was like, is it Alien Cubed? What am I supposed to say? Alien 3. (laughs) I I deal with this situation a lot at work. That's all I'll say about having like a weird number in your company name. And um, it's very annoying. And I, I think people should reconsider stuff before they start putting superscript all willy nilly. But I am. Very excited for our next episode, Alien 3. I'm going to say mystery guest right now with, with confidence. I'm going to say mystery guest. Mm. And uh, make sure you go to that poll that I definitely posted by now on our Twitter <laughs> at Screen Run. You can follow us there for other nonsense. Matt, where can the good folks find you? I'll be pretty hard to find because I've scrubbed myself from the internet as best as I possibly can <laughs> and uh, gotten rid of all social media except for Twitter. Just for my other show, um, you can find me at uh, Thurston Third or The Better First Run. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and every now and again, I do check the the at the First Run as well, much to Chris's um, delight. We'll say. I do appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, you can follow Chris at CG Scalzo on Twitter. I'm at the lady one. And once again, go vote in that poll that I definitely 100% for sure remembered on my own without having to listen to this episode back again about <laughs> which is better aliens or T2. <laughs> Chris, where can they yell at us if they've disagreed with any of our flaming hot takes? Yeah, please email us at screenrunfun at gmail.com. <laughs> And of course, you can check us out at screenrun.fun. Now, remember, there's no dot in the email. It's just no. screenrunfun at gmail. And the site is screenrun.fun yes. for all of your fun podcast alien needs. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can find the show anywhere podcasts are found. And if you're on any of your favorite podcatchers, leave us a review, leave us a rating, tell a friend, tweet about it, tag us, spread the word. Please, please, it would mean a lot to me. Thank you.
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to take an extended break, and uh, we will see you soon. Yeah. I shouldn't say extended <laughs> break. That's from my other yeah, show. That's your actually, yeah, that's, that's, show. That is, Don't do that. That is... Uh, Ooh, that's a huge betrayal, Chris. You I just know. hurt my feelings. Don't even know you anymore. Let's redo that. In fact, I'll excise this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Get away from her, you bitch!